Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Listen to that. Nothing beats a vinyl. Some technology just stands the test of time. Our technology not only brings the cool, it also brings the heat. At Mitsubishi Electric, we've been mastering and innovating heat pump technology since 1970. EcoDan, continued innovation in heating for home and business. Mitsubishi Electric, changes for the better. Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. to an attorney prior to and during any question. You can't afford one to court appoint one for you. You understand your rights? Your crime spree was over, son. Yeah, you thought you had it licked. But Detective Overton made your sugar turn to shit. <laughs> This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that are of a sexual nature. It should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show. The facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My description of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, 
Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And before we get started, I want to apologize ahead of time if there's any audio issues. I'm on the road today recording remotely. Uh, Toby Tom Player, executive producer, will naturally make it sound the best that he can make it sound. So, But I'm we're in a hotel room, y'all, so if you hear any noises or whatever, I apologize ahead of time. Also, you know, I'm unedited and unscripted, um, so everything you get in today is just going to be raw, and we're going to leave it that way. And today, I'm going to be concluding the series Rapids Burning, and also ending, this will be the last episode of Season 5 of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. So we we'll appreciate everybody for listening, and just hold on, and let's get started. All right, y'all, so today... I'm actually feel like I'm sitting in a lion's den, and I'm in I'm in Rapides Parish, and I have a, a very special guest with me, if you will, uh, Mr. Jermaine Harris. Mr. Jermaine, good, thank you for being here. Oh, no problem, man. I'm happy to be here. All right, y'all, and so y'all, in case you don't know, and for the lifers who don't know about the Rapides Burning series, it's it started with us continuing to wait on justice for Courtney Coco. And another Friday came, just like tomorrow will also, and that I got another lame excuse, and it was so lame, it just really upset me, and I stayed up all night thinking about what I could do. And now, from day one, the first episode on Courtney Coco, when all the lifers started reaching out and giving me information, et cetera, they especially people from Rapids had been sending me tons of information on cases they felt they had been done wrong or there were still cold case homicides or political corruption or police corruption, et cetera. And so what I did, I thought about that night. I said, you know what? This story needs to be told. It needs to be put together and told all at one time so people can get an idea of what's really going on. And so we've done that, or I've done that in the past three episodes. Now, today, I have Mr. Jermaine Harris with me. Now, y'all, I'm not from Rapids Parish, and, and I, I, you know, I love the people of Rapids Parish. It's not their fault, right? Uh, uh, but Mr. Jermaine, I know they, they don't have any of the powers to be, don't have any love for Woody Overton <laughs> here, and that's okay. But I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm just telling the truth. I'm, I'm, everything I've told y'all has been told me by somebody here. Uh, you know, when I might have been speeding just a little bit, uh, but when I hit that Rapids Parish line, you better believe that I was going 55. So, <laughs> But that being said, y'all, uh, Jermaine Harris is – I'm just let me introduce you to him. Mr. Jermaine, uh, you're from Rapids Parish? Yeah, born and raised. Born and raised. And what's it like growing up here? Oh, I, I enjoy growing up here. Uh, I grew up in Alexandria, um, and I spent went through school in Alexandria. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I left home for a while, uh, worked in New Orleans some, but I came back home because I, I love living in Rapids Parish. I, I understand that. There's no place like home, right? That's right. Okay, and I get that. So... Tell me, so we can segue into it, you grew up here, you go off, you go off to college, and then after college, you go to law school? I went to law school. And, and, and where'd you go? I went to Loyola in New Orleans. Uh, when I graduated, I worked some in New Orleans. I worked in a public defender's office for almost a year, and then I moved back here to Alexandria. I um, started a practice. I did that for maybe a year, year and a half, 
And then in the beginning of 2015, um, I started to work for the district attorney's office. And that, so who was the district attorney at that time? And that was Philip Terrell. As a matter of fact, when he was uh, sworn in as DA, I was sworn in later that same day as assistant, as one of the assistant district attorneys. Right. You know, I have a, I can't say every district attorney in the state, but I've had dealings and cases uh, with so many of them in in the, for most people that don't know y'all, the uh, especially larger DA's offices, the ADAs or assistant district attorneys are really the ones who do the grind every day, right? Who That's do, right. who try the cases, who deal with the victims, et cetera. And the 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 DA, especially if it's a larger office, is mainly a public figure, and and but they do have the final say so on the cases, or they should. And that's right. correct. And I'll tell you, some DA's offices differ. When I was in New Orleans, uh, Canazero, I think he is uh, retiring after this year in New Orleans, but his office uh, was more of a firm grip. I mean, you had right. to get everything approved mm-hmm. by him or someone he appointed, right. um, and that was, you, you, you had to do that. Right. And I think uh, from my experiences here, it's, it's more loose. Right. You know, it's more you know, control. Assistants have more control than they have in, say, New Orleans. Right. So let's talk about that for a second. Uh, and I get that. And I, I, I've worked some DA's office where the DA is the only guy there in, like, in East, East and West Feliciana, right? So uh, maybe one, one ADA. Yeah, but I never met a prosecutor. And, of course, I've had clashes with some over the years, uh, uh, even when I was on the law enforcement side, but now, on, on the defense consultant side, et cetera. But I never met a prosecutor that got into it, first of all, because they wanted to get rich. I mean, you certainly can make more money in a private practice doing yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. It's just like a cop or a law enforcement professional. You don't do it really for the money. You do it because you have a passion for it. Is that, why, why, why did you want to be – I, I know – the public defenders is a whole different breed, and, and, and I've dealt with them my whole career also, but they certainly not doing it for the money, right? And, and, and they're helping people the best. Everybody, y'all, has a right to defense, and, and I totally agree with that. No matter what they've done, they, they have a right to defense and a proper defense. The, that's what our country is based off of. But so you, you came from the public defender's office, and why did you get into the prose- prosecutorial side? Well, that side to me is, well, both sides, they do justice in their own ways. But I think working for the DA's office, you you do justice, but you have more control. I mean, you have the control to the extent that if you have a really bad case, um, you really have the the power to go in and really prosecute it aggressively and help out a victim's family receive justice. But you also, on the flip side, have the opportunity, if it's a bad case, you can help a defendant in situations where he may be innocent or there may not be enough evidence. Right. So you can be fair and balanced on both sides, right. and you have the power to do it versus as a public defender, you don't have that power. Right. And then it's like, like I used to tell the young cops when I trained them, you know, uh, if you can't help somebody, don't go out of your way to hurt them because there's enough legitimate bad guys out there that you, you're you going to have to hurt exactly. right? And it's the same thing, uh, I think, from a DA standpoint. And I get that. And that, look, not everybody... That, that commits a crime, you know, obviously people make stupid choices and, and yeah. things like that. But then that's one in the spectrum. But then you have the other end of the spectrum where you have your serial rapist or murderers or whatever. And they, to me, and I mean, I have many, many of them that are going to die in Angola that I put there. And I, 
the last person executed in the state of Louisiana, Gerald Bordelon, I, I knew him personally, okay, who raped and murdered um, his stepdaughter, according to the ball, and left her on the Amy River. But if I had become a lawyer, the only thing I would have ever done was be a prosecutor. And, and my, my family are full of lawyers, so I get that. And I, I think that's an honorable deal. So, But as it, in any profession, I think, especially in law enforcement, you start out, when you go in, you have a certain ideals, idea of how you know things should, should be, et cetera, but then you get in and you find out what it's really like. And that's okay. Uh, in my mind, that's okay as long as it's, it's still right. But sometimes you get into situations, you go places, and you find out things are wrong. But can you just tell me about your time in the DA's office? So uh, I went in in uh, January 2015. I started working for the DA's office. And um, initially, I took over a caseload there as primarily drugs. And, you know, I started prosecuting those cases. And it was funny because as I started prosecuting them, I sat down at the desk and I asked myself, well, how do I determine what this person's sentence or offer should be? Should I help this person? Should I not help this person? How do I know from reading this report? And so I think at that point, I developed a real rapport with law enforcement right. because they knew who was who in the community. Right. And so the more I talked to them, the more I started to know, okay, this is a major player. A frigor flyer. Yeah. And you started learning who the players were in the area, and you started learning, this is the person I need to prosecute aggressively. Or right. if I don't know his name, maybe this is someone I should help. Right. But if I know the name, I right. know he's involved. And I know that this is someone we should target. And so that, that started my relationship of really working aggressively with law enforcement outside of just getting the report and going to court. Right. I wanted to hear from them to know what was going on. That, that, that's a... Uh, that's, uh Visit the Institute of Art, Design and Technology Dunleary Open Day on Saturday the 19th of November from 10am to 3pm. At the IDT Open Day, you can find out about our exciting new degree courses. You will get top tips on preparing your portfolio. IADT Open Day on Saturday the 19th of November. Create your future. For more information, visit IADT.ie. Excellent idea, and it just brings me to flashback, right? So I go into court, maybe a probable cause hearing or a motion to suppress or whatever, the DA would always take me out in the hallway and say, hey, can you, can you tell me about this one? Because they knew. I, mean, I could tell them if it was a frequent flyer or somebody that's been on my radar for a while. Or, you know, a lot of times I'd say, hey, look, I don't know them. They were respectful, whatever, whatever, you know. So that's, yeah, that actually goes on. And then for you to reach out to cops, props to you on that. Yeah. So. That's, and that's important because they, they, they have the knowledge. And so that was my thing. Sometimes we'd be in court. And it would be a, a sometimes the major players would come in in the, in the drug game and they would get, you know, probation drug court. And then the community at large in that area knows, oh, they gave this guy probation. And just to mix the criminal justice system looks bad when 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 everyone in the community knows who a person is. Right. But the D.A. didn't know who it was. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so yeah. it's a disconnect. And so it's important to have the same information that they have. Right. I agree with that. I agree. And and. uh so you started out prosecuting drug cases and... And then at a certain point, I wanted to do more. You know, I wanted to, you know, I was happy with the drugs, but I said, you know, I want to move up and do some some murders, some serious crimes, some rapes. And I, luckily, I was in a situation there where no one was really fighting me, so they were like, hey, take some. Mm -hmm. And so I started taking on some serious cases and, um, you know, and then I reached a certain point where I wanted to do more because I was working so much more with law enforcement. Right. And working with the task force that we have here, and so 
Um, when I was in New Orleans, they were doing a lot of racketeering cases. Right. And so I got with law enforcement here. I said, well, look, they're doing a lot of this in New Orleans. You know, maybe this can solve some of the issues we're having. And they were on board with it. And so I started working with them within a year, maybe within six months of me being a DA's office. I started working with them. And by my second year, we indicted 14 defendants in a uh, racketeering case. Uh, under RICO, you're yes, talking about? that's correct. Okay, so for y'all that don't know, RICO is, was it, uh, it's basically the the way the prosecutors can bring the additional charge of an ongoing criminal organization. Am I correct? That's correct. And and, and, and it greatly enhances, and they first brought that around uh by using it on the mob, or the That's mafia, and, uh, way back when, I think the 80s or when it was. So it's a big deal. Uh, so y'all look it up if you don't know what that is. And the big thing about it was a lot of people, you know, that night used to practicing under that, but what helped me with it was it, it, once I learned more about it, it became easier because you only had to show uh, the association with this group. All the defendants didn't need to know each other. You just had to show that they were a part of this group. And so, um, you know, once once we figured that out, it was it was easy going, and we we indicted fourteen defendants, uh, twelve of which were convicted, two of which weren't because they were serving time in other jurisdictions, and we just allowed them to serve their time there. Right, right. And so, but I want to say within a year and a half or so, it wasn't long, and all twelve were convicted of something. Right. Um, and so, and it kind of culminated with I think the leader himself that we identified ended up going to trial, um, and towards the end of the trial. Um, I think he saw the writing on the wall. Now, this was the first racketeering case of this type that I know of in Rapids Parish, and we were a little concerned about the jury. We were like, I don't know if they... You never know about you know, a jury. Because <laughs> we're explaining this to them, but you, it's hard to, right. to know whether or not they're really receiving it. And so at the end, he ended up pleading to 50 years on racketeering and 35 years on attempted murder. And so um, I think it'll be maybe 29 years before he's pro-eligible. Right. Uh, and this That's is a awesome. defendant who would have been... As a matter of fact, he was serving time when he was indicted, but uh, sometime after we indicted him for racketeering, he was to be released. Right. And right. so then he got this time, so he never got out. And so, um, and that was a case purely working hard with law enforcement because I couldn't have put that case together if they didn't have sure. the intelligence. Right. They had the intelligence. I had the will and, you know, the ability to prosecute it, so we put it together. Right. And so it ended up working, and it had a real impact in the community. Um, but after that, I wasn't able to. I wanted to kind of build upon that and do more, but I wasn't able to. Yeah, and, and, and real quick on it, uh, y'all have heard me tell stories about how I used to work dope, and I made my bones in the dope game, okay, mm -hmm. and on the street, and I loved it, right? Just like you started out in narcotics until I worked my first homicide, and that's all I cared about, and, and, and putting good bad guys away, even though the dopers are bad, but... I'm talking about putting people away who are destroying lives, even though the, I know the narcotics dealers are slowly, but I'm talking about people who are raping babies and murdering people and stuff like that. So, but the uh, parallel with you on that, and I used to so jokingly say, and I love our, our ADAs and uh, the try the cases, et cetera, by you, and it's true. And you say, I build these cases for the district attorney, right? Mm -hmm. and, but, but then their forte is taking what I built in molding in something and your job is to get it past the jury. And then you right. never know what a jury's gonna do. And look, it, it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of balls to, to stand up and, and do that. And I, I also always say, and in, in, in most cases this is true, DAs love, and I'm talking about the political ones, 
love to say they have a 98.5% conviction rate. Well, you know why that is? Because they plea out a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and on those more serious ones, if they think not, if they think there's a chance they're going to lose it, they, they won't try it, mm-hmm. and, and especially not in an election year, right? That's and, correct. And, and so, I, I don't know. But so you and I talked previously, and I just want to ask you about this, uh, and it's going to go back to Court and Coco for a minute. When you were there at, in the DA's office, what was your knowledge of Court and Coco's case? So I had already, you know, known about the case, just being from the area, right. you know. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I I went to Ash for one year. I graduated from Peabody, but I was at Ash for a year. So I remembered her from um, from school. So when she passed, I think I saw it on the news, and, you know, you're like, man, that's the – I remember her right, from, from school. Right, right. And so I've already always known about it, and as you know, years went by, I would see, um, you know, different things. I would see the, the family somewhat having – trouble getting uh getting answers in a case and I would see that, you know, ongoing. So when I was in the DA's office, I'm one of those people I said, well, you know, once I get an opportunity to to be able to do something, let me see what I can do. Right. But initially, you know, I was looking I was already looking at cold cases anyway. Right. That's my thing. I, I love, you know, to look at cold cases because to me it's one of those things where you can actually go back and piece something together and look at maybe where someone may have That's missed right. something. And see if you can put it together. Right. So I've always been fascinated by that. So uh, once I was in the position, I said, "Well, let me see what I can do." So I started looking at a different uh, cold case initially to see, you know, what I can do. Go through the file, see what was if anything was missing, and what I could do. And as I was going through that, uh, one of the investigators told me about a connection they thought that may be between that case and Courtney's case. Was that Tamika? Um the Garnett case. To be Garnett, yeah. And so, um, you know, but so I so I said, well, maybe we should look at, you know, both of these cases and and see what we could do. Now, with uh, Shamika's case, I think there was no problem as far as, you know, getting materials on that. But when it came to Courtney's case, there was more pushback in regards to that case. Um, I'm not sure why why that was the case. But um, let, let, let me, and I'm gonna interrupt you a lot. And I apologize. Uh, I have hundreds of thousands of hours of interview interrogation. <laughs> if I don't say it, so tip my tongue, I'll forget it. The so when you say, and, and I get that, and I was the same way about cold cases, right? When I remember my first day in the Texas, everybody else left. I couldn't wait to stay after and get into the cold case. I can remember a big old gray metal file cabinet and, and looking at them. But when you're looking at Shamika's case and now they were they were good friends. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, Courtney's trunk of her car where, where her body was obviously placed, she had her, uh, Shamika's obituary clipped out of the paper so she, her body was placed on top of that. I mean, they were, they were, they weren't just acquaintances. They were good friends. I mean, they, people, I can't go into too much details, but they were good friends. And, and so, but when you say you asked for information on Courtney's case and you were getting pushback, what do you mean by that? Well, just not really handing over a lot of the information in regards to the case. Now, they, they eventually did do that, but it wasn't, you know, it's, it was hesitation. It wasn't, it wasn't as quick and swiftly as they would be in other cases. So You perceive, it was your perception, and you, correct me if I'm wrong, when you were asked for that, for some reason, you didn't get it as quick, or they weren't, or they maybe there was a delay. I hope you go away type of feeling. I don't know. I mean, yeah, and that's exactly what it was. And I didn't, 
you know, I didn't know a lot of the history behind the case. The only thing I knew about the case at the time was it was a cold case that hadn't been solved. So I didn't right. I didn't know anything behind a lot of the, you know, what's been going on between the family and law enforcement. And try, the only thing I really knew at the time was that, you know, it was a cold case that may be connected to something I'm looking at. So right. I want to look at that and see, you know, how it might fit because I don't know if anyone at that time had ever compared cases and looked at information to see if they could find any similarities. So um, I think that was one of the biggest things I wanted to do. But even once I got to that point to where I was able to get that information, that was when I was on my way out of the office. At that point, I was sort of dissatisfied with the office at that point. So I never got a chance to actually dig into it and look and see what I could find. Right. But uh, all the other cases that you looked at or you asked for information on, you didn't get the kind of pushback or delay game that you got when they, when you asked about Courtney Coco's file? No. Okay. All right. And at what point, I mean, if you don't have to answer, if you don't want to, but, you, I mean, you got, at some point, you, it sounds like maybe you got a little fed up or whatever, uh, aggravated. What, what, what made you decide to leave the district attorney's office? Well, the... It, if you want to answer, you don't have the, to. Well, the office just really wasn't going in the right direction. I think, you know, the way I am is, you know, I like things to be done a certain way. And it's hard to have things done a certain way when you don't have complete control of the situation. You know, when you're an assistant, you know, what you can do is limited. Uh, to give you an example, uh, just the racketeering case I talked about, you know, I really wanted to build upon that. And I was working towards building upon that with law enforcement. But, but my voice with law enforcement wouldn't hold the same way as the DA himself taking control. You know, so at a certain point when you're trying to get things done and accomplished as much as you can, but without having the voice of being the guy in charge, it made it a lot harder to get things done. And, you know, and as time went by, you know, I wanted to do more, you know, especially dealing with some of the uh, violent offenders in the parish. I wanted to do a lot more, um, but it was, it was just hard to get done. And so I think that, you know, for me, I, if I don't feel like things are going the right way in a direction of the office isn't toward, you know, if you're going to be a DA's office, you should be towards really prosecuting people who need to be off the street and being aggressive about it. I don't think that aggression was there, you know. Um, just to, I'm going to give you an example. I think last year, I think they may have tried 11 trials last year, which is up because that's, that's a high number for them in a year. Uh, they still have tried fewer cases than the last DA did, but in this last term, but it was 11. I think the male lost five of them, you really? know. So I mean, jury trials, you're talking so about. Jury trials, so that's six and five. They tried 11 trials. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well. Have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. Astro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this, and you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those roads, 
planned my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process, you pick up a language naturally, designed for long-term retention, speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Sayonara. Files the whole year, and meanwhile, you got these cases, and and I've covered it. And I can't. I'm bad with names, but I covered Rapids Burning, where you've got these cases that have been delayed three and four years, and some of them, the people have reoffended, mm-hmm. and and so I mean, that that I guess justice isn't uh, swift and, and cer- certainly not certain, right? Well, and you don't so, care about DA's office losing that many trials in a year either. I mean, you know. Yeah, you that, know. that's, a, that's a, yeah, I I wouldn't want to go to trial either if I was getting my ass beat. And, and, and the and to me, you have to properly screen those cases. You can't, sure. you know, you have to properly screen the cases and know the strengths of your cases before you're taking it to trial. Because I've seen instances where they take a bad case, you'll take a bad case to trial, but then you'll plead out a really strong and right, good case. Right. You know what I mean? The cases that we should be trying, we aren't. So, right. you know, and I think a couple of those losses were like child sex related cases. You that's, have to really be prepared unreal. to yeah. take those cases to the, trial. I don't, I don't understand. I guess you and I are the same mindset because I don't understand losing. I don't build junk. I don't come unless I'm coming correct. I never lost a case by trial, trial ever, or mm-hmm. a motion to suppress or. Uh, uh, a search warrant return, whatever. But you know why? Because I took my time and I built it correctly. You yeah, know, you're and, right on that. And and uh, the 
I don't understand that. But losing five out of 11 and only trying 11. You know, and the thing about it is... You wonder why you, your killers are still walking around. That That's true, and, they, and they're taking it to trial. And, you know, losing that many to me, my, my position on it is I'm taking things to trial I could win. Right. And I'm going to make sure I have everything in place to win that trial. Uh, when I was there, I didn't lose any trials either. I got conviction of all those trials because, you know, I made sure going into those trials... Everything was laid out. We had the evidence. I already talked to the officers. Right. You know, we know we have a strong case going forward, and we know we have a great opportunity to win. So I, I don't, I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't either. And and then you, meanwhile, you have people like the Giles girl who murdered Cootie in the Walmart parking lot, and now she's out on bond, and uh, she, she had two of the conditions of her probation were no casinos and bars, and she has a curfew, and she's applying to open a daiquiri place, right? Was that you? You, you know, She's supposed to go on the trial this past year, of course, COVID, get that. Now it's, you know, like a year and a half, two years away. I don't get that. How can you apply for a liquor license and, 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 and not apply for a liquor license to put yourself as the manager and owner on the LLC when you are have been told specifically by a judge, condition your releases this and this. Well, I'm gonna tell you, those are some of the things that make the justice system look bad. It's horrible, you know. Yeah. And and that's you know, just like the example I gave about you know, it'd be a serious you know major drug dealer coming in court and gets probation, right. and then everyone in the community is like, wait a second, right. you know what I mean? Right. What's going on with the with the right. criminal justice system? That's exactly right. And 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 let's, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this because uh, it's on my head. On my mind, you're talking about your a close association working with the cops. Now, I know to build a RICO case, y'all, it's tough, okay? But it's so beautiful if it's done correctly. I mean, it's, it's, it's might as well it'll be the death penalty of nine. Well, it's, they could have some murder cases in, but RICO is like, or habitual offender. That's, that's mm-hmm. when you put that on, on the table, the bad guy goes, but you have they're so complex, you have to come correct. But you couldn't do it without law enforcement. Now, I want to I say this because I know in, the, in Courtney's, uh, Courtney's series, it, I mean, I wasn't a harder on anybody that didn't, didn't screw up, and everything on there is the truth. But I firmly believe that there are way, 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 way more good cops, even in Rapids Parish, in the sheriff's office, and APD, and the, the, the small departments in there are bad. So if I say something negative about a cop or you hear me or Miss Stephanie having a recording of the detective lying to her on the phone about Courtney's case and stuff like that, I'm not putting down on all cops, y'all. I, I back the blue. But I can guarantee you all the good cops out there or, or, or all the good cops from Rad Pete's Parish are sick of the bad ones making it hard on them too. It's just like the George Floyd murders. I mean, they murdered him straight up. And yeah. but there's there for, for every. I'm not saying there's not a problem because they're they're uh, of, of racism and stuff because there is. But for every bad cop out there, there's a there's a million great ones. Yeah, you know, and that's why when I talk about certain cases, I don't I don't talk about assistant district attorneys because to me, they work for someone. Right. And so you know, when you work on certain jobs. You know, you 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 work and you serve at the pleasure of the leader or the head of that group or that organization. And so, to me, no assistant is at fault for anything 
It's just like with cops, you know, cops, you know, they, they're not at fault for what a leader or what someone in leadership has done. You know, that's that's on them. Right. You know, and a lot of those people may not like something that goes on, just like in district attorney's offices. Right. Maybe a citizen don't that don't like what's going on, but they have constraints. Right. And that's another reason why I left. I don't I didn't like the constraints of being being there too, because you know, if you work in a political office, you know, you 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 have certain things you, you can't be you can't be seen with a certain other public official. I get it. You can't do, you know, it's it's a lot of constraints that you have on you because you work in a political office, you serve at the pleasure of that politician. And so, you know, it, it does place constraints on you. Yeah, yeah. and I, I get that. I'm going to tell you, I, and I haven't told the story. I'm not going to tell it uh, on the podcast, the full story. Way back when I arrested three of the richest guys in this area, we'll say this area that I was working, I handcuffed all three of them to the bench together. And I handcuffed all three of them to the bench together. And the next week, they were... Uh, at a hunting camp with a district attorney. So, I mean, and I get that. That's the, mm-hmm. and so what you're, what I think what you're saying without saying is you could build it up and you, you know, you could do good on something, but then whatever, for whatever the boss man's reason is, he comes in and puts it next to it or stops or, or takes it away or does whatever. And as y'all, that's, that's your elected official playing politics, you know, and, and, it is with that's you know, I used to say, well, it's above my pay grade. I did my job. I arrested them. Mm-hmm. You know, they still got booked in. But uh, on the DA side, what do you do about that? Yeah. And and let me tell you something. One of the cases, uh, and the, the people tell me all the time, I say Terrell's name, Terrell's name wrong. Um, one of the cases I did on Rapids Burning, I can't remember the name. It was a sex offender. Got out on a, like a slap of the wrist. And uh, uh, I mean, just... Bad. And I can't remember which one it was. You know what Philip Terrell's one-liner is when KALB finally interviews him, and they bring it up because it, it's a bad. I mean, it's a bad deal. And they said, "But well, what about this?" And he says, "Oh, I'll have to get with the whoever the ADA was." Now that's bullshit, man. Yeah. There's no way this guy's got 150 something counts of child pornography and rape, or whatever it may be, and and you're gonna get let him out with a slap on the wrist, and or and and you say when the, you know, the cameras are in your face for the two seconds that they are, you say, I'll have to check with my assistant prosecutor and see what happened at. So either you're such a inept, pardon my French, such an inept shitty leader that you really didn't know and, and, and you let your prosecutor make this kind of, this was could have been a death penalty case. And you let your prosecutor make that and you just don't know you, you're that bad a leader or you're full of shit. And you, you you made the deal for whatever the reason is, and you're not going to say why. The problem is it's ongoing here, y'all, and it's rapids burning. Shit, I'm, I'm glad I don't live here, man. And But I hurt for the people and all these families that I've talked to, the victims' families, and it's not just murder cases and cold cases. It's these people every day. Uh, Jermaine, somebody emails me, and I had two yesterday. One of them was a girl that was raped. When she was 16, she's now 20, and the, the the DA's office passed it off. She says she's lost her whole family behind it, et cetera, and what can she do? I'm like, this rapid's burning. I mean, I don't know what to tell you to do. I mean, the the but it's, it's so much more to it than I've even been even able to put out there. And But I want the people to know you don't have to put up with it. You got one chance to make a change. 
since I announced running, um, I've had so many families and so many people reach out to me um, about cases that I had no idea about. It, some people reached out to me about cases that were ongoing while I was in the district attorney's office, right. and I had no knowledge of those cases. Right, right. And um, and they would tell me, you know, what happened and the things that went wrong in the case and their displeasures. And it's just, it's more of a common thing than I even thought it was. Right. You know, and it's people from all walks of life, you know, that have had these experiences. Right. You know, so it's, you know, it, it is an ongoing thing here. And, yeah. you know, we just have to do better, especially in, in regards to our dealing with some of these victims' families, I think, because... From the stories I've heard, you know, and I and I believe every one of them. Right. You know what I mean? Well, they don't have a reason to lie to you. They don't have a reason right. to lie to me. So, uh, so I, it's just it's just sad some of what's been going on here. Yeah, and and the y'all, in case I didn't say it, uh, Jermaine Harris is is actually stepped up to give you a chance for change in Rapids Parish. He's running against incumbent Philip Terrell, 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 however the hell you say his name. He's running against him because, and I'm going to tell you that, the, when you step up, the, the district attorney has six-year terms in the state of Louisiana, not four years, six years, and they're powerful. I mean, I mean and, and with great power comes great responsibility, and you can choose how you use it. And I do not understand. I didn't know the, anything about only trying 11 cases last year and losing five of them, et cetera. But, the, uh, but the, all I know is what these people like you, these victims and, and family members that have reached out to me, hell, they don't have, they don't have a reason to lie to me. They're not going to get famous for it. They're not going to get any money for it. They're, it's not going to bring their, their dead love, yeah. loved one back, et cetera. But the, they're crying out. And that's why I wanted to put it all together. But let me tell you something. My hat's off to you because you have to live here. And you know what it means. First of all, you know what, what, the, what you're dealing with, who you're running against. You've worked underneath them. Yeah. And you know what it means. That, uh, if you don't win, you, you still have guts enough to stand up there and, and say, hey, you know what? And I, I, I tried to make a change because you believed in it. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, back to the victims real quick. Um, I was telling one, I said, look, a lot of the times, if there's not enough evidence in a case, you don't have enough to go forward. I think that's, you know, if you can sit down and really explain that to that family and that family trusts you. Right. That's a big difference. See, when you have credibil credibility and the families trust you, they can trust your decision. Right. But if they don't trust you, they won't trust your decision. And that brings your entire office into into dispute to me. Right. You that's know, right. That's right. Our leaders, if you trust the leader and you trust it and they have credibility, you'll believe them if they come to you and say, ma'am, there's not enough evidence to move forward. Right. You may not like it, right. but you that's can right. accept you it because you trust them. You may not like it, but you have to understand it. Yeah. But, it but if they come, that same person comes to you or in the court, case of court, okay, told Miss Stephanie and the whole, in front of our whole family, brought them in. And it, with the chief of police and the sheriff, et cetera, and told them, yep, we know the killer is this person. We know exactly what happened. We're going to prosecute it. I'm going to take it to the grand jury. Give me two weeks. That was last November, first week of November. February, we peacefully protested outside of the courthouse in the freezing cold, and he still hasn't returned her phone call. See, and, and then... When interviewed by KLB, or he issues a statement to KLB, it says, "I don't have. I, we, I'm. I've 
take credit. My the lifers, my fans got pissed off, mm-hmm. and they were blowing up the DA's line and APD's line, and every one of them they called it and they were recording it. And every time they had answered, the DA's office would say, we don't have that case filed. We have no knowledge of Courtney Coco's case. Now, how fucking insulting is that to the family? Yeah. Yeah. And, and But I had to back off and ask the fans to lay off, et cetera. But the, Philip knew we were out there. All he had to do, why, if you're not hiding something or you know you're not wrong, why not come down there and say, hey, we're still going to fight for justice for Courtney or say something to the mama. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the trust thing you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, if, if he had came down those stairs and said, you know what, hey, I hear what y'all are saying, you know, and, and we're, we're doing the job, da da da, da. that would have gone, yeah, but then I liked it. Yep. But damn it, it would have gone a long ways, and we wouldn't be sitting here almost a year to the date and, it, you know, afterwards. So, yeah, but you got, you have to be aggressive in, in putting those cases together. And I don't, you know, to me, I don't, I don't know if it's a focus over there. For me, that's one of the things I would want to do is to be aggressive with these cold cases, you know. But if you if you if you're having trouble with the cases that are currently ongoing exactly. over there exactly. right now, I don't know how, how do you handle yeah. get into the colds? And, yeah, and I get that. And uh, I, I'm gonna tell you something, uh, Jermaine. I, I worked all. I was out of headquarters in Baton Rouge when I was with the state police, and I worked all over the state in different parishes, and I am not lying. I'm not, just because I'm personally involved in Courtney Coco's case, I am not lying. This is the worst I've ever seen. Now, listen, when I was with the state police, I had, and I've said this before, and somebody wants me to tell a story, I'm not going to, but I had dealings with the Rapids Parish Sheriff's Office when I was with the state police. They damn well know who I am. Mm-hmm. And when I was a criminal investigator with the state police, so they know who I am. Their detectives know who I am in the... uh like they, they don't have any love for me, that's fine. I don't care. Do your job. You know, it's, it's somebody that needs to step up and not uh, Phil Terrell. He's been given every chance in the world. And, and to sit there and tell that family to their face, give me two weeks, I'm taking it to the grand jury. And then it's still, what I, I don't know, it's almost, hell, it'll be almost a year. It'll be a year in the first week of November yeah, that's and since he's talked to her. And that's shameful. I know, you, you, you know, I hope the people would give you the shot. Y'all, I, it's a presidential election year. You're probably going to the poll to vote anyway. If you want to do change, I think what happens, Jermaine, and I've seen this a lot over the years in these elections, is people think that it's the good old boy system just the way it's always going to be. You know, that you, they can't fight, that their voice doesn't count, et cetera. But that's not true. This is your chance. If they vote for you, if they want change in the district attorney's office, then they need to vote for change. And I'm going to tell you, when I first was talking about running, the biggest thing people told me was, uh, you don't have the money to run. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the biggest thing I heard is the money, the money. Right. You know, your opponent's going to have 300 grand. Right. You know, you're not going to have 300 grand. And I'm not going to come close to 100 grand. Right. right. You know, but but I think the biggest thing I saw in deciding to run is that people really want to change and people weren't satisfied. And I think when you've seen upsets happen in different places across the country, right. it's, already, it's always a movement, it's always a feeling among people that, you know, things aren't going the right way. And so I think right here, right now, there's so many people fed up with the direction uh, that we're going in. And so I think that, you know, for me, uh, money can't vote. There's only people that can vote. And so I'm concerned with, my issue is getting the 
what's going on over the last six years to the people and letting them decide. Right. You know, uh, some people may refer to something, oh, you brought up a case, it may be dirty. I'm not going to get into one's personal life or anything like that. But if it's a case that happened in court, we got court minutes and it's right. factual and it happened, I don't see how it's dirt by, by breaking it's it up. It's a matter of public record. It's a matter of public record. Anyone could go in and get a copy of the minutes and see what happened. So I'll never get into anyone's personal life or anything like that, but I'm going to show cases and show what happened. And the voters make their, the voters are the jury. You know, right. I'm going to put the evidence to the jury and I'm going to let them decide what happened. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. but let me ask you this, because as as, if I was a voter in Rapids Parish, I would want to know, uh, first of all, the you already said one of them, it, I mean, how do you restore trust in the, in the district attorney's office or faith from the people in the DA's office? I mean, I guess one day at a time, one case at a time. I mean, yeah, definitely. And, and, and to me, having the right people in place and start building it piece by piece when certain cases come in, when they see it's no favoritism going on, when they see certain uh, friends and relatives of certain people in power uh, having to come to court and answer for it, just like their son or daughter would have to do, when they see those things happen, then they know, wait a second, we got to change in Rapids Parish. You know, this person's son is sitting in court waiting for five hours like everyone else just, is. Just to spread evenly for everybody, no matter what your race, your economics, or your ties to the the political connections, We're right? We're in a place now where someone may get arrested and the public will already know nothing will happen. Yeah. And, and they'll be right. Nothing does happen. Yeah. So I think once once that starts to change and they see people being treated fairly, whether you're a CEO or, right. you know, no matter who you are, when they see you treated the same as everyone else. And, and so boy, my daddy always taught me to treat the janitor just like you do the CEO. But exactly. And, and the DA's office, that carries a special weight, right? That's true. So that's your pledge to the people that you give. You'll be fair and justice. One hundred percent. And uh, and for me, you know, I, I'm not a I'm not in the good old boy system. I I never applied for it, and I've never been inducted <laughs> into it. So yeah. so, <laughs> so they don't have to worry about that. Yeah, if me. you go in and you do an honest job, you never will be. I never will be. <laughs> uh, 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 and let me ask you about just a couple more things that have been popping in my head. The what do you what do you Let's get narcotics out of the way first. And narcotics will always be there and always be a problem, but what 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 will you do about narcotics? Well, for me, the biggest thing is I was guided. I worked so much for the FBI task force that I, I want to do one as far as state crimes, but I don't want to do these, you know, by bus and things like that. I want to actually build up cases where we're actually targeting mid-level dealers. Um, you know, the feds do that well in this area, but it shouldn't just be on the feds. I think... You know, we shouldn't just give that wholly to the feds. I think that the DA's right. office should be at the lead. Right. They shouldn't be following the U.S. Attorney's Office. They right. should be setting a standard, and they should be the ones out there really uh, hitting the pavement and not not just worrying about the street dealers, right, right. but building it up and having strong, quality uh, investigations that actually get suppliers off the street and not just the nickel and dime. Excellent. The, uh, hit them where it hurts, the, the suppliers and the money chain right exactly yeah. so now what's uh, more near and dear to my heart what about uh child sex victims what about rape victims people that are victims of sexual crimes human trafficking child pornography and things like that the biggest thing i think we need to do and i, and I want a division i now they, they somewhat changed now in the da's office where i think they have sections but i i, I always like people specializing in something you know and that way you had the best and the best in that field. So I want people who are dedicated to doing 
those types of cases, sex crime type of cases. And um, so they get the right training. They, they get to partner with the sex crime detectives in each law enforcement agency. They know them by name. They work together well. They work with the Children's Advocacy Center, and they are a team. And I think that um, when it comes to those cases, you have to build them up early, especially and you have to have people who are qualified to deal with those child cases. Um, but you build them up and you screen them properly. And if you have strong enough evidence to go forward, then that needs to move forward to a trial. I don't think, for me, I don't believe in the the child sex cases that you should be uh, all this plea bargaining and all that. And, you know, I think if you got a strong case, if you if you done your leg work in the beginning and went over all the facts and you have enough to go forward, then you have to take that case to trial. You know, um, so that that's 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 my opinion on that right. when it comes to those types of cases. But I want specialization when it comes to those cases. Right. And and I think that's important. And the the plea bargain and all of that, uh that's bullshit. And and the the I mean I understand not wanting to put some of the victims, especially young victims, through being on the stand, at, you know, after they done CACs or child advocacy center interviews and stuff like that. I get it, taking maybe uh, a plea, but it's got to be a hard plea. Yeah. Now I'm talking if they get out, they go on to offend sex. It's ninety nine percent mental, and I've, I have, I've had a Catholic priest in his eighties that that had had done a a bunch of altar boys over the years, and he was still, when I got him, he was still doing it mentally, right? And, yeah. and, and crossing his barriers, even though he couldn't do it on the physical side anymore. So I, I believe they're not going to stop, you know? Yeah. And they, that, damn it, that's why we build prisons. That, that's right. I don't think it is anyone in the parish. I think that's one of those crimes that crosses over any economic that's, background, absolutely. any race, anything, is that no one wants a child predator on the street. Exactly. You know? I have two daughters, you know, I'm... You know, I'm standing by the bathroom when they go in the bathroom. Exactly. You know what I mean? I just, you know, society the way it is, you know, it's, it makes you hard to trust anyone. I know, I know. And so it's horrible. You just, you know, when it comes to your children, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like taking chances. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so you pledged to. We're gonna be aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. with those child yeah. sex cases. That, that I don't, you know, I think lately you've seen some pleas that are, you know, they have people scratching their heads. Which is why I said you screen the case properly. If you don't have enough evidence, you know, then you don't have enough yeah, evidence. I, and I get that. And and, and, and I, I, you know, you, you don't want to build junk. You also don't want to let them get away. The um, and but but if you charge when you, it, when, when you let people go and the, and the you know, you had enough at the beginning to have them a two million dollar bond, and they have a hundred and something counts. And then you you plead them down to one count of attempted whatever and give them probation. That's bullshit. See, and that's what that's what I mentioned about making the criminal justice system look weak. Because if you if you are arrested for for child sex crimes and the DA's office gets it, they indict you. You go to court yeah. and it stays in court for a couple of years. That's that's and a, then you give them a year probation. You know, people in right. the community they, they're going to say, well, wait a second, they were charged with incest. You know, uh, and, and now they have one year probation. It's a disconnect. Right. If you don't have it in the beginning, to me, you deal with it in the beginning. Right. But if you charge them, you're saying it's enough as That's a DA's exactly office. Right. So, yeah. you know, you're signing your name on it saying there's enough to go forward. Right. And then if you turn around and give them a deal like that, everyone in the justice system is crashing their head. That's exactly right. And and then uh, real quick before we get on to the big one, tell me, uh, and you talked about it earlier, this is, is very important to me. Tell me what you would do. And, and now I'm going to back up for a second. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I know that the DA stood in a room full of people uh, when certain law enforcement officials were present and said to the family members, you know, you know, we haven't always got along or worked the best with these people. Talk about some of your local law enforcement. He said, well, we're going to work together on this case. That's bullshit, man. I mean, the DA wouldn't have a job without the cops doing theirs and vice versa. But what do you, what do you how would you, uh, and then, you know what? There's going to be cops listening to this, too. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you say to them? What, what, what will you do to strengthen relationships and cases or whatever? I don't tell you. That's that's one of the things I saw that was coming when I worked in the DA's office. The officers on the ground working hard to build cases. Oh, that's, that's sad. You know, they're working hard, you know, spending time working their family, their loved ones. I know it. Um, to put cases together. And they put so much time and effort into those cases. And then those cases end up at the DA's office. And so when they sit back and find out, you know, cases are getting dismissed or getting played down a little nothing, and they put all that work and effort into the case, right. you know, that causes some of them, they're still going to do their job, but yeah. it, it, it makes you sit back and wonder, what what am I doing it, this it, for? It, it's a, it taints them. And, it does. And, and here's the bad thing, you know, when I sat in on all these baby rape um Baby rape interviews, I shouldn't call it that. CAC, Child Advocacy Center interviews, that, that's the official term. And we're watching through the monitors and, and they listen to these babies say these horrible things that happened to them. You have to tell you something, you damn well better prosecute it. And, and, and on ones like that, I wouldn't even wait to the grand jury. I'd go get on the warrant right then, having the PC have heard the kids say it, and then I will go to the grand jury later on and defend it. I will take it to stand and, and uh, uh, probable cause. But yeah, it, it makes it bad. Yeah. And, and for morale, and then the, you talk about trust. You the people who really need to trust each other. It's like a football team. The 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 DA is the coach. The the 
the players are the cops, right? The DAs and ADAs are, are the coaches and, and assistant coaches, and the players are the cops. If players don't trust you, they're not going to perform. I mean, there's not. I'm not going to say they're going to turn a blind eye, but they damn sure are become tainted, you know. And and uh, so that I think that's important. The, the the DAs and the cops working together is everything. That's how you win. You have to. You have to work together. And see, a lot of the times, you know, I think. The problem comes in when sometimes the DA's office wants to do something, you know, for other reasons outside of just where there's enough evidence. Right. So, the, so the cop will be sitting there saying, I have a strong case, you know, and then when they see it go by the waste, fall by the wayside, the DA's office, they're thinking, wait a second, how can I build a stronger case than what I built? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's not about strength of the evidence. It's other reasons that have mm-hmm. come into play mm-hmm. as to why that happened. And so that causes... You know, you, and I, I've dealt with them a lot over there, and, I, and a lot of them expressed that. Yeah, and, and that's true. And they're not going to say it to the DA's no. face. But let me tell you something, Jermaine, and, and I do personally, obviously everybody in the world knows I'd vote for you if I was here. In my in my past career, some of the best um, DA's that I've worked with have actually, they would put on training like four times a year, like a, a supper, and bring them in to talk about whatever the hot topic issue is or have a class on better report writing for uniform guys or, you know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 so even joint, joint working like that, yeah, if, you, if you're getting some cases as a DA, you're just saying uh, the cops messed it up, well, you know what, let them know. And train up on it so it won't happen again or let their supervisors know so they can train up on it. Right? And that comes from trust. And, 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 that's, and that works with police in the DA's office. When the police trust and have faith in what they would do in that office, then they will respect when they make a decision on a case. So my relationship when I was dealing with law enforcement in the DA's office, if I had to dismiss a case, that officer, I would talk, they would respect this. Okay, well, if Jermaine did it, then okay, I I respect that, you know, but if they don't trust the person or trust you know, then they may say, mm, "I don't believe. I don't believe it happened for the right reason." Right. You know, it's about trust. Right. 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 And, and let me clarify: when I said I never lost a case, I mean I never lost one. I'm not saying when one was never dismissed or anything. But but again, if it was, I understood why it was. Yeah. Right. So that's a big difference than taking it to trial and losing five out of eleven trials. Exactly. The uh, the big one in the coup de gras is murder. Right. Mm-hmm. And and y'all. Or homicides, and and homicide in the state of Louisiana, I'm sure is everywhere else is defined as an illegal taking of a human's life by another human, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, what What are your stance on on homicides? Uh, tell the people because I think it's important because they know what they have now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 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 tell them. Well, you, I'll just shut up. You tell. Say what well, you got to say. My experience dealing with murder cases is that you win them on the front end. You know, you don't win them on, you know, two years later or a year later down the road when you're trying and you win it on the front end. And so to me, my experience dealing with murders, you have to have someone active as early in the process as possible. You know, I would want an ADA at the scene of every homicide, you know, because I want someone there who would be there to, to not take over the investigation. Exactly. But to sit back, be there to advise you know, and help start shaping that case from the beginning, you know. And so, you know, I've noticed, you know, sometimes, you know, violent people are violent. And so people are reluctant to testify sometimes. Absolutely. Usually in those, that very early period after a homicide, people are willing to talk early. 
until intimidation starts. To me, you have to get those people early. And my thing would be to try to get those people in grand juries as early as possible right. so you can go ahead and secure that testimony um, and lock it in under oath. Right. You know, because if you don't do that, sometimes they may run on you. That's right. And so to me, I want to get that done very early, build those cases early, working with law enforcement. And I want to try them within a year of indictment. You know, to me, you know, once you start going past a year, you have witnesses moving, you know, you have to uh, hunt down evidence. To me, you get your evidence together as early as possible, get everything, reports, as soon as you can get them. Sometimes there are delays with the labs. Get the reports to the defense attorneys as soon as possible and give them all their discovery. I'm not going to fight you. Here's everything That's we right. have, and we're going to go to trial. Yeah. You know, we're not going to be in court, you know, six and seven continuances. And not to cut you off, but you know that is the damn problem. That's part of the problem. Even the defense attorney, you can't blame the defense attorney for uh, delaying and delaying and delaying. And, and uh, you know, both sides are going to get a reasonable amount of uh, delays or this has been produced, et cetera. But the longer it goes, the better it is for the bad guy, right? Exactly. People are going to die. They're going to run. They're going to get scared, like you said. And if their testimony is not locked in, the uh, – Feelings change and, mm -hmm. and things change, and in the end, you know, they they play them out as bullshit, and 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 I, I don't get it. And let me ask you one more because this really, really, really bothers me. And y'all apologize because I forget the name, but the they had a homicide in Rapids, and I'm not asking putting you in a spot. I, I just want to ask, would you, just stick with me for a second? Mm -hmm. They had a homicide. Uh, two gay lovers, obviously one of them murdered the other one. He he hid the, the his lover's body in a box in the residence for approximately or at the residence for approximately a year before it was found. Now this victim is what you know you call it a high risk lifestyle, whatever. The uh, the victim had no family members here, had nobody to speak for. Him. Yeah, and they drug it out. And, and when it comes to the trial date, at the last second, they plead him down and give him three years probation. So, but I want to ask you, because ultimately the district attorney is the one who speaks for the victims. Yeah. And and I think they failed this guy miserably on 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 this case. And, and if you, if you and if the guy that did the killing, if it said was, was self defense, and why didn't you why'd you hide the body for a year? Yeah. You know, the, on the court date when it comes to show up and there's no family to give victim impact statements or anything like that, and, uh, and they change the plea to, down to what something ridiculous, give them three years probation. What do you what do you pledge to do differently for the victims of violent crimes, especially homicides, especially if they if they are poor or they're not politically connected? Or I'm, I'm telling you something. I'm, you can connect the dots in these cases yeah. that I talked about. It's if there's a, such a thing as socioeconomic racism, it's going down. Yeah. You, none of the cases I talked about were judges' kids or politicians' kids or family members or whatever. They just didn't come up. Yeah. Every single one of them are good, hardworking people. Some of them may have been in a high risk lifestyle, but guess what? That doesn't give you a reason to never. You never have a reason to murder somebody. I don't give a shit if they're out there doing all the dope in the world and, and, and another dope kills. It doesn't, there's no excuse for murder. I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm talking about cold-blooded murder. Yeah. But it's, it's like 
they only, but the DA only has to worry about once every six years answering for his, his mess ups, right? And then, and the, and the pattern I see in this is these people, these good and it, salt of earth people, don't get justice. A lot of them are, are, are told, yeah, we're working a case, or just like Miss Stephanie's in, in November, yeah, we're going to prosecute it, I'm going to take it to the grand jury. Hell, it's going on a year later and he hadn't even given her a phone call back. You know, what 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 would you do if you have victims that that aren't, I hate to say, intelligent enough, to, they don't have enough knowledge to, to to represent themselves or fight for the family, the deceased murder loved ones, or they don't have the means, or or what will you do for them? Why, I, tell me wh- how you can make a change in Rapids Parish, man. I'm pissed off about that. I've never seen. I spent my life doing this, and I've never seen anything like it. I just get fired up. You know, and um, for me, as a as a district attorney, you really you you show who you are when you see how you deal with someone who has no one to speak for them. You know, I think one of the things is, you know, sometimes you deal with victims who come from, you know, different lifestyles and different backgrounds and things of that nature, but, and and they don't have family to come in and and fight for them um, for various reasons. And some of them don't have the capacity to talk for themselves, you know? And so I think the biggest thing is you have to fight for that person just as hard or harder than you would fight for anyone else. And I think that, you know, regardless of who they are, where they come from, you know, you have to fight for them just like if that judge's child uh, was uh, was involved in some trouble. You have to fight, you know, or, as a victim of crime. Or your own child or, or one of your own relatives. Or my own or child or, any, right. or one of my relative's children. And you have to treat all those people the same. And I think, you know, that's the problem. I think a lot of people from the, from what I've talked to, they they feel that that, that has taken place, that you know, their voice wasn't heard. A lot of the victims that I've talked to said, listen, I went up there and told them, I explained this to them, they didn't listen to me, my voice wasn't heard. And, and to me, it all still comes back down to trust. You know, not everyone won't trust their leaders. You, you know, that's, that's you know, there's no leader that's gonna be 100% a, trust. A person in a position of authority is always gonna have somebody pissed off at them. They're doing their job correctly. Exactly. And so, and I understand being DA, you, you're gonna, sometimes you're gonna make friends, sometimes you'll make enemies. But I think that you have to know within yourself that you're doing the right thing and that you're uh, fighting for people who really can't fight for themselves. And that's, the, and that's really your job as a DA, is to get justice for people, especially people who can't get it for themselves. So I think that my biggest thing is to, I'm, I'm prosecuting regardless of who they are, where they come from, um, who the victim was, um, who has money, who doesn't have money, where they come from, who donated to whose campaign, you know, all those things are immaterial. And, and for me, I'm a person that's really in a position to do that because I'm really not, you know, <laughs> look, I, I, when, I, when I said I was running for DA, you know, I, like I'm not having a lot of people take pictures with me because it's, oh, yeah. it's a, it's a dicey game. Absolutely. It's a dicey game in politics. So they, you know, they, they know, okay, well, if, if, if Mr. Harris wins, okay, that's one thing, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. Most, most people don't run against incumbent DAs. That's right. You know, so, you know, we don't know. We like you, Mr. Harris. We'll vote for you, but mm-hmm. we don't know if you're going to. So, you're not going to so, put that sign on my yard. Yeah, I don't want to get attention to myself. Exactly I don't right. want anybody to come and say anything to me. And so, uh, you know, so it's a lot of that. So when, when I win, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of, you know, 
put it like this. There's no favors going on. Exactly. I don't have to worry about that. Right, you know, right. I can actually go in and do what I want to do without uh, having anyone holding anything over me. I don't have that. Yeah, you can get it, go in and do the right thing. And it just came to me. It, my, the name of my boat is Lady Justice. And y'all, Lady Justice, uh, 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 she's holding scales of justice, a statue. You know this, of course. But the, and, but the one thing about Lady Justice is she's blindfolded. Yeah. Justice should be blind. Right, it doesn't matter what race, economic background, who you know, whatever. Justice should be even uh, for everybody. You know, blind meaning dealt out fairly and just. Yeah, right? yeah, that's awesome. The uh, so one more time, and just and then we'll close it out. And I, I'm gonna shut up. Tell me why you are standing up to run against Philip Terrell? Listen, I, from working in the office and being in court every court day for three years, I've seen what's going on in the parish, and I've seen uh, people who have committed certain crimes, violent crimes, sexual crimes, um, basically get off their sentences and are able to go back in the community um, with little to no consequences. I've seen people who have money and people who have uh, the right connections, get certain deals, get favoritism, while everyone else is just left to the discretion of whoever's prosecuting them, you know. And I, I've seen those things happen, and and you know, and to me, I feel like the way the way I am, I, I want to see people treated fairly, and that's why I made a, you know, there was one instance where, you know, there was a guy that came in a court, and he said, oh well, listen, I spoke with you know someone over there at the DA's office, and. They, they promised me, you know, uh, you know, I can get, you know, some help. And so I said, well, I, let me, let me, let me go talk to, you know, so I went, went, talked to, walked in the DA's office, talked to them. Well, do whatever you want to do on the case. I said, man, just do whatever. But then, you know, with certain people, it's not do whatever you want to do on a case. It's, wait a second, we need to resolve it this way. And that happens too, too, too frequently. Do, um, I think doing the whatever means that that they don't care because they don't they don't owe anybody one, one way or another. And on the flip side, you're saying on certain cases they're like, no, we got to handle this like this, but for reasons unbeknownst to you. Exactly. So there are special cases and there are that's everybody bullshit. else cases. I don't think there should be everybody yeah, else cases right. and special cases. I think we should treat all those cases the same. And so, um, and I'm running because I, you know, someone had to make a stand. I looked around the parish, and I, I've seen a lot of people that are upset with what's going on, but no one wanted to run because of they didn't have enough money. They may have, were afraid of being attacked and, exactly. you know, uh, afraid of the political, you know, how things go in politics. So there's a lot of people who are angry and won't change, but they were afraid to step up to the plate. Um, me, I, I, the way I felt about it, I'm like, I'm, I'm young. I don't, you know... I don't, you know, I don't have too many ties to people in power so that, you know, that I'm not afraid of anything like that. So I said, well, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to fight it aggressively. I'm going to get in there. I'm not going to run afraid or run scared. You know, if you run scared, you'll definitely lose. Right. And so I said, I'm going to run. I'm going to be aggressive. And if it's some cases that I think, uh, you know, were, were handled poorly, then I'm, I'm going to shed light on them regardless of what happens. I'm going to run it 100 percent and I'll let the chips fall where they fall. Right, so the, so you're saying if you get in and you're able to review cases and, and you, this, you think that there's something shady that was done on those cases, you're going to make it publicly known? 
100%. You know, 100%. I think, you know, we, we, we have to look at those things. And, you know, I, I wouldn't mind looking at PTI and seeing how, how that was run right. and what was done with some of those things, you know. When, I, when, I, when I'm elected, I'm, it's a full review, and we're going to look at what was done, what wasn't done. Um, I don't, you know, when it comes to some of these cold cases, I'm, I'm so interested enough in cold cases, I'll look at them personally. Like, I wouldn't even, well, I'll put a little group together, but I will be personally involved in cold cases because, to me, that's, that's just a passion I want to do on my own right. anyway. Right. And so, um, you know, that's definitely one thing I would plan to do is, is, is personally look at those uh, cases, and if we have enough evidence, we're going forward. You know, there you go, there you go, and and people rapids, you got a chance. What's election date? November what? November third. November third. Where you at, rapids? Jermaine Harris. If you you go back and listen to rapids, burn the other three episodes and the travesty and the, listen to those cases. You got a man here saying he. He's going to do it honest and fair. He doesn't owe anyone. I wish I would have lived in Rapids. You'd have my vote. You know that. So, y'all, you, you, you've heard the cases. You've heard the stories. I have so many more um, Rapids full of great people. But it's a, there's a problem here, and, and this is your chance for change. November 3rd, right? That's Jermaine right. Harris, for district attorney. Rapids Parish. And you got anything else, Jermaine? Uh, that's it. Look, I, any, you know, my, my vision is just to make sure everyone, well, number one, our community is safer, um, especially with violent crimes, these sex offenders, violent drug offenders, make sure we're safe and to make sure everything runs fair. You know, I want everyone treated fair, regardless of who they are, where they come from, their background, any of those things. And those things are not just a, a campaign promise like some people make them because I'm not a politician. I'm yeah. 34. I've never run for office before. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a campaign promise. I'm not that slick yet, right. you know, <laughs> <laughs> and pray that I never be, right. you know. But I think that uh, my thing is treating everyone fairly and, and making us safer. And I think once we do that, I think that will open up a lot of doors for Red Peace Parish, you know, yeah. um, especially if we can handle this crime. I think we'll open a lot of doors. They help a lot of people, but we have to do the groundwork to get there. Amen. Good good deal. All right, y'all, you heard, you heard it. Jermaine Harris. Uh, and actually, uh, Jermaine and I are going to be talking tomorrow night at the, because I'm so bad with names. You gather on the, uh, tomorrow, on September the 20, I think it's 25th every year, there's a National Remembrance Day. Uh, that's right. That's the National Day of Remembrance for All Murder Victims. It's a candlelight vigil, and that'll be tomorrow. Right. Uh, that'll be uh, 7 o'clock. Right. The 25th. Tomorrow, tomorrow night, and, and this is why I'm delaying this broadcast until Saturday, but I want y'all to know Miss Stephanie, Courtney's mama, has asked Jermaine to speak, and then I'm going to speak after Jermaine at the vigil uh, on the courthouse steps. And so he's putting his money where his mouth is, as am I, in and I really, really hope you get it, brother, and then make a change. So, I appreciate it. And so, y'all, we're going to conclude this episode. I know it's different for, um, than all the rest of them. And uh, also, this will be the conclusion of season five. You'll get this. Patreon members, you'll be getting this Saturday morning. Everybody else, all lifers, you'll get it on Sunday. 
I appreciate y'all. Thank you for, you know, we're growing by leaps and bounds. I think uh, 26,000 members now on the on just the one crew page. But y'all give us, uh, we have, a, I forget all the Facebook pages, and we have so many different ones, right? But you know what they are. And this is a point where I'm supposed to say all the podcasts or stuff that I don't really know. But uh, follow me on Instagram at Real Life Real Crime or at Overton Woody. And the last thing I want to say, oh, let me give a shout out real quick to uh, Bomb Deals and Promo Codes, uh, uh, the ladies. I think they're up to like 175,000 members, y'all. And they've been a huge supporter of RLRC since we started. Y'all go check out their website. And, and no, I'm not getting a commission or anything, but and I wish I was because my wife spends all the money on there. But that's the way where they get the uh, promo codes for Amazon on things that are already marked down on Amazon. And they get these secret codes for it. And you can get it and. Some things were almost free, but you actually you can get some items for free. But they, you, you, you ladies know that I love y'all. Thank you for giving me a shout out last week on your page. I appreciate that. And last but not least, LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Give the gift of life. Go to LOPA.org. Check the box. It takes like a minute, y'all, and, and be an organ donor. And like I say, it, it, you know, not everybody, when you die, they don't they don't automatically harvest your or whatever they call it, take your organs. The, it's only a select few that it happens, uh, circumstances. But I'm going to be bringing you an episode next time uh, that is going to, I, I guarantee, it'll make you cry. But go to lopa.org, sign up to be an organ donor, give the gift of light, give the gift of sight. There's people out there that are dying right right now or living on machines, and you've heard me talk about it in the past. But when you go there, they, they have a box um, saying how you heard about them. I always say check the LTC, Livingston. It stands for Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center, Criminal Justice Students First, because that's who got me turned on the LOPA. And then now they've added Real Life Real Crime. If you want to, you can check us. But check those students first. They're working hard. To, um, to get organ donors. It's important, y'all. Give the gift of life. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.